Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Real Talk in Real Time, your podcast giving you behind the scenes access with some really awesome, creative people to hear how they keep things real in their lives and passion projects. Basically, you know, a lot of informal, off-the-cuff musings and definitely a lot of real talk. Today, my guest is the most awesome Emma Cownley. I found you on Twitter and I'm just so, so happy to have this opportunity to talk with you. Emma is a freelance B2C copywriter and founder of Jot Jot Boom. She is a blogging badass and she writes copy that kicks serious ass. (laughs) She has written for Vans, Timberland, Virgin Trains, and Metal Hammer, just to name a few. I am so, so excited to talk with you today, Ms. Emma. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I'm actually pretty good. I got coffee in hand, so that's always helpful. Oh, me too. Yeah, you've got to get that on the go, a little bit of rocket fuel to uh, power the convo. It's very, very, very true. So, of course, we have to ask, with your lovely accent, where are you right now? Where are you living right now? I live in London, England. Uh, oh. Born born in London. My dad is a Londoner, a Cockney Londoner. So you get the pure Dick Van Dyke experience with my dad. Well, in in America, I reckon that's what it would be. In the UK, he's like EastEnders type, Danny Dyer type of a dad. Um, and I was I was raised on the south coast in a town called Brighton. It's quite oh. popular for being very yes. trendy. It's like the gay capital of the UK. <laughs> I love it. I it's just love it. full of hippies and <laughs> flagrant drug use and barefoot playing guitars in the street type thing. So <laughs> my kind of people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so do you do lots of traveling or do you stay pretty much near hometown? Um, I've got family spread out all over the UK. So I do travel quite a bit for family for family events and such but my husband and I do like to travel around Europe obviously being in the UK you've got Europe on your doorstep it only takes a couple of hours to go to Norway or France or Germany or Amsterdam or anything like that so it's it's really cheap as well so we do like to kind of get away every so often and just go somewhere new and hang out. Nice so basically that just gave me permission to stop by the next time I'm in Germany. That's pretty much what I heard through all of that. Oh, yeah, for sure. I love it. Yeah, come over. <laughs> we'll have some fun. So I, I love your website. I love your brand. I love that you're just, because you know, obviously, real talk. So anyone who's willing to just put it out there is my kind of people. Um, one of the things I really like is I watched your video tips for introverts pitching for freelance writing jobs, like a boss. So talk to me, tell me why did you feel it important to put a video like that out? I just worried that there are people like me who haven't had the necessary support to feel like they can go out and get it. If you know what I mean? I think that I, I worry that a lot of freelance copywriters, especially, or creatives are just naturally introverted. And it's so easy to be really precious about your staff and feel really self-conscious about sharing things and about going out and just being a business badass. And so through 
trial and error over my freelance career and also just a lot of therapy for various other things. I've just had to go on this huge journey about overcoming those introvert tendencies and going after what I want because no one's going to hand it to you. And that's a painful lesson that you learn when you go freelance. If you allow yourself to be subdued and not go in with a kind of more aggressive pitch, you don't win the work and you do get walked over and you lose out on money because of scope creep and you have a tough time with jobs because you didn't put your hand up and say, I don't understand or I I don't have the things I need to do the job or your requirements are really ridiculous. Here's how we should be doing it because I'm the expert. You need to listen to me. So I just think somebody needs to come from a place of this is how I'm one of you and this is how you can overcome those things. Now, was that scary for you when you, you know, recognized that you needed to make that pivot for yourself? Oh god, you know, yeah. before telling other people. So how did you how did you deal with the fear of doing it? I don't I don't think I have. <laughs> I don't think I have even still. Um but the the persona I project publicly and for my business is a completely different person from who I feel that I am. I do not like confrontation. I do not like putting my hand up. I will do anything to avoid an argument. Oh, wow. I really <laughs> I'm a massive chump. You know, I'm very gullible. <laughs> uh, I really I don't like to tell people no. And I think when you're trying to run your own business with and maintain any kind of sanity or even make a decent living, you, you've got no choice. You've really got no choice. If you allow yourself to be subjugated, you're the only one who loses. So really, I just have to put on that front and almost get into character and use that as a method of doing what needs to be done. And I don't consider her to be me, really. Ah, interesting. So for so many creative people, especially introverts, I think we sort of go through this um, imposter syndrome. And I think most any entrepreneur would say the same thing. Do you find that having this other persona that is your business persona, does that do you feel that you have moments of of being in that imposter syndrome place and how do you how do you handle that? Absolutely. I live in the imposter syndrome place. <laughs> I think I'm the mayor of imposter syndrome the town. Um yeah, absolutely. I think I spent a huge portion of my formative years within relationship groups that deliberately sought to kind of keep me down. And obviously, as an adult, I look back and think, God, they weren't nice friends to hang out with. Why did you do that? But wow. clearly, that's formed a huge part of who I am today. And I always, always have the mentality of don't just don't go for it. Don't bother because you're you're not going to be as good as the other people. Just don't try. Or when you hand off a piece of work and you just think it's wrong. I know it's wrong. <laughs> but I think you just have to in times like those. I think I've done a video on this as well. I can't remember. There's so many of them floating around. But what I always tell people to do is go back through your portfolio and remind yourself of all of those really wicked 
pieces of work that you did that just absolutely smashed the granny out of it, you know, and mm-hmm. go back through your client feedback and all the times that you've been praised for your ability. And then just looking retrospectively and think, damn, look at how far I've come. You know, I've built a business. I've worked with these different people. I achieved this. I achieved that. Clearly, I'm not shit. You know, the evidence is there. This is all just me talking in my own ear. Wow. I love that. Um, Not so long ago, I did an interview with Jessica Mendez, who's another awesome writer. And she, she said something similar in that making a list of your accomplishments and reading them reading that list often is so very helpful. Mm. Yeah. And, and also, cause when someone is telling you, you know, like a loved one or a friend or a colleague that you work with and they're like, no, you're great. You're really nice. Mm-hmm. I just think, mate, you're saying that because we're friends, like, and you like me, <laughs> right. you don't want me to feel. So I'm automatically shutting it down. Whereas when there's evidence, I can't argue with that. Right. No, that is a wonderful, wonderful tip. And I think more creatives should hear that. You know, we we need to find a way, like, uh, which is why I said I love your video. We need to find a way to make sure that that is something, especially the younger creatives who are still finding their way, that they, they need to feel that they have permission to pat themselves on the back. Because I think that's another aspect of that imposter syndrome is we we're conditioned to believe we need that outside validation. Yeah. And we, we have the power to give it to ourselves. Absolutely. And really, the only the only time it has true value is when you're giving it to yourself mm-hmm. externally. I mean, people can say whatever they want, you know, and not mean it. Whereas, you know, if it comes from within, that's when it really fuels you and you can really believe it. So is that a lesson? Like if you could go back in time and like sit down with younger you, what would you say to her? in this regard? Oh, that's such a good question. I think that I have always been a person that does what I want to do anyway, because I can't help but do whatever it is I was going to be doing, even though it's most of the time batshit crazy and just very strange. I've always done exactly what I wanted to do. It's just I kept it a secret or I just was a bit more self-conscious about it. So if I could go back in time, I'd say like, babe, just get on with it. Like, don't be self-conscious. Just do it, man. Own it. Because when you start going around doing your own thing and owning it with no shame, people can't, they can't get you. They can't get you for it. If anything, they're a bit more compelled because you're so you've got such conviction behind your actions that it's compelling rather than they pick up on signals that you're tentative or unsure. And then the, then that's when they start to think you're fucking crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Whereas if you're like, no, this is exactly how I'm supposed to be. So I would, I'd tell young Emma, just do what you want, mate. (laughs) You'll be fine. Fuck these others. They're the ones that are, you know, I feel bad for them. I love it. I love it. So (laughs) being a a copywriter and your work is amazing. I love your tone. Is that, did you always know that you would, you would do what you're doing now writing? Um, I didn't know you could do it. I didn't know that was a job that you could have. (laughs) If I'd known that it's exactly what I wanted, I would have wanted to do for a large portion of my teen years. I wanted to be an air hostess. Um, okay. 
<laughs> I just really wanted to. I like travel. I thought aeroplanes were cool. I just thought it was the dopest job. Um, oh. But I've always loved writing. I just didn't realize that you could do it as a job. And um, after I graduated, it was the recession and there was nothing going on. And I ended up working in Starbucks and basically hating life. And I reached out to a journalist that I knew who uh, works on a a UK magazine called Sci-Fi Now. Mm, and I was okay. a subscriber and I love the magazine. And I found one of these guys and reached out to him. And I was like, how did you get to do journalism? That's the coolest job. And he oh, gave wow. me a bunch of tips. I went back to uni, got a master's, and then gradually found my way into copywriting. And then when I got my first job, I was like, this is exactly what I was meant to be doing always. Oh my God. I love that story. That is actually, that, it's rare, honestly, to hear someone who had success that way. That is, oh, I love it. I love it. That is so cool. I had and a so- film blog. I think that's how I landed my first copywriting gig. I had a a film blog where I just wrote about horror films mm-hmm. and they saw it and they were like, Oh my gosh, could you do something like this for us? And I was like, babe, I could do all of this and more. <laughs> <laughs> so I got hired for writing about Stephen King and uh, Tom Savini. <laughs> oh my goodness. And what did, what did that feel like the very first time you had something published? Oh my God. I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. I actually, I think the first thing I ever had published was an advert in a print magazine mm-hmm. and um, I cut it out. I think I've still got it. I kept it. <laughs> You're supposed to. <laughs> oh, good. Thank goodness. So it's, it's not loosely that I did that then. No, no. Were you excited? Like, did you tell everyone? Did, I mean, like, what was that experience like? I think I sent a photo to, um, to my sister I was very chuffed. Yeah, I was happy. <laughs> and now it's, it's always happens though. It always happens even today. I work for a company who I'm not allowed to say who they are because of NDAs, but they um, they put up a huge, giant, long poster in Ireland that I had written the tagline for. And someone sent me, because I haven't been to Ireland, someone sent me a photo of it on this roundabout. And I was like, shit, <laughs> I wrote that. It's on a roundabout. It's on a giant billboard. What? <laughs> wow. Never goes away. So for your family, like, did they know that you had this writing ability? Was it news to them? Like, you know, what's been their response to your success as a writer? I don't know. I don't think they really think much about it or really care. It's not, <laughs> I just get on with my own business. <laughs> I was a free range child. So I've kind of just gone off and done my own thing. I think as long as I've got a job or I'm just out of the way or I'm just doing my business, I think they're just happy. I just get on with it. <laughs> Wow. So tell me about your family. Like what's your, your mom, your dad, your siblings, what do, what do they do? Are they creative people as well? No, most of my family is in, um, works for the NHS or private healthcare. So my mom is, um, a, uh, an RGN nurse and has always been a nurse. Um, and my dad used to be a paramedic, but now he works in the private sector, training for health and safety at work and stuff like that. 
Um, they were both in the working for the NHS during the London bombings that happened back in the 80s, oh, wow. the Hyde Park bombings and the Harrods bombings. So they've seen definitely a lot of stuff. Uh, my aunt is also a nurse. Her wife is a nurse. My granddad was a paramedic. So oh, my, my uh, whole family pretty much is in that area of expertise but I'm just I'm too much of an empath to go down that route like absorb every emotion that I see Mm -hmm. and I just think working there would just destroy me how do you manage being an empath I don't (laughs) (laughs) I cry at tv adverts I cry at the the news it's every 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 emotion I see happening around me is now my emotion. It's so stressful. Oh, yeah. I hate it. <laughs> I remember, like, you know, I, and I've said this so many times, Judith Orloff reading her, her book, Positive Energy, back, I think I might have been in my late 30s when I found it. That was a game changer for me because oh, I'm really? like you. I'm a sensitive, highly sensitive empath, and I will absorb and I, you know, would cry at the drop of a dime. And that book, I'm gonna I'm, I'm plugging it. I ain't getting no royalties for that, but plug in that book as something that you should read if you're looking for resources on how to not be so sen- not necessarily not be sensitive, but control how much you receive and how much you absorb from I other need people. to get on this. I feel like this is going to change my life. <laughs> It it changed mine. I'm gonna tell you, it changed my life. And just and we're we're both connected to jazz, and he's gonna hear this and say, "Okay, Jay, telling this freaking story." But my the, the the tool that I picked up from reading her first book, and it's been through different versions since since I read it. But the tip that she she puts out there is seeing your energy as a bubble that you project from your core, from your heart. And depending on the situations you're in, you determine how thick or thin that bubble is. Mm. For instance, so for me, I I color code my bubbles. And for me, if it's family or like my husband that I I want that person in my my bubble, it's blue. For me, blue is soft. And so that's, that's, I project that out and he's, he's allowed in. And then if I want to make it harder, it's gold. That means you, you're, you, you're not getting in. And that's also because I can project energy just as strongly as I can receive it. Mm. So I'm just saying, read the book and consider making that bubble so that you can maybe not receive so much. Yeah, I feel like I need <laughs> that bubble. It's, it's exhausting being an emotional sponge, isn't it? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And especially now. I mean, granted, I... With what's happening in the world and when we'll actually publish <laughs> this podcast, it may not necessarily line up. But it goes without saying that we're in this pandemic and we don't really know exactly how long it's going to last. As an introverted, sensitive person, how is this situation, how is it affecting you and your family now that I hear that they're in healthcare? Well, for me, not a lot has changed, really. Um I already worked at home and just hung out here pretty much as much as I can. 
avoiding social situations, dodging mm. them um, artfully, artful dodger them. Um, so for me, not a lot has really changed, but aside from work, and I think it comes back to what I was saying earlier about how you feel about your ability and work, everybody's work has dropped off, but I'm now of the opinion it's because you're shit. If you weren't shit, you'd still be getting work through the door. And my husband keeps saying to me, you are aware that we are in the middle of a pandemic, like everyone's business is slowing down. It's not, you know, it's not just you. So for me, really, that's been the change, the kind of business element of it. And that's got me stressing a little bit, but everything else I'm perfectly happy with just me hanging out with, with my husband, just yeah, just chilling at home, doing all my own fun, creative projects and stuff. I haven't really missed going out. Uh, but with my family, yeah, I've noticed that the attitude is slightly different in that generation anyway, with regard to kind of government rules and and stuff. Um, I try not to talk to them about it because I just think there's nothing I can do about how they're going to manage that. I trust oh. that they know what they're doing they've had enough experience they can they know what they're doing and me getting involved be like I hope you're staying at home don't go anywhere don't touch Nan you know it's it's not helpful so I, I I'm just trying to check in on them and I trust that they're doing what they know they need to do to stay safe well that's good I mean you know obviously we've talked about being sensitive um to energy and people I've have friends that have family members that are on the front line and they're, they're, they're a mess. Like they just, they, they can't even like get out of bed because they're so distraught with worry. And there is like, it's not even you, dude. I get, I get that, you know, we care about our family and friends, but how much harm are you doing yourself? Like, that's not, that's not helping them by you being so freaked out. I think it's difficult when the control is taken away from you and you know, you can't control other people's actions and how they're going to behave. I think that's what's stressful in that situation. Yes. Yes. But you know, I'm like you, I, I love being in my space. I love being at home. So oh, that, yeah. that, oh, that yeah. has a for me, right? <laughs> it's like, i I'll do anything to avoid a social occasion. Anything. When things get cancelled, I love it. (laughs) I love it. I'm like, yeah, we can rearrange. I don't mind. (laughs) (laughs) Woohoo. Exactly. Exactly. But I will say, being at home, being a freelance person, I am finding managing my time is worse now because I don't have the ability to go out to give myself a break. I will just work like eight hours a day, oh, wow. I mean, 18, 18 hours a day because going out, that was my way to, to break. Like, do you find that you're managing your time has changed now that you don't have the ability to go out if you wanted to? No. Um, <laughs> my day is exactly the same. I used to go for a little lunchtime walk and I still do that because here in the UK we're, we're allowed, we've been given an allotted one hour a day where we can walk, cycle or run within close proximity of our dwelling. So, uh, me and my husband go out for a little lunchtime stroll 
So it's really, it's not changed. <laughs> it's still not changed. And I'm quite, I'm very, very organized and I'm very strict with myself with regard to productivity and scheduling. I love schedules and organization. So my day is pretty much exactly the same. It helps me feel like I have some semblance of control and um, what with there not being a lot of work on, I, I feel like I need to keep pitching for stuff. I need to keep my knowledge up. I need to be doing creative projects and still writing and stuff. So I'm quite good at keeping myself to a schedule. You know, I think we were probably separated at birth because like <laughs> I'm listening to you go, oh my God, that's me. I do that. that the is Trello awesome. is my life. I love that thing. So what other creative product projects do you have going on? So I, I play drums. So that's been a really great, I have an electronic drum kit in my office because just because there's no other place for it. So I've been bang up on the drums, literally bang up on the drums to, um, it's quite nice to have all other distractions removed so I can aggressively kind of push my practice forward and try and hit those milestones that I've set for myself within music. Um, I also do taxidermy and I was fortunate in that I had set five moth specimens before lockdown happened so I had these and I was like brilliant I can kind of get those framed and do all of that and take my time with it um so I was doing that I have a podcast with my friend Jordan where we review b-movie horror films (laughs) and basically just really enjoy the shitness of them so uh we've been doing that what else what else um yeah I think I think that's about it. But yeah, I'm I'm quite good at coming up with creative endeavors. When I get an idea, I'm like, oh, could we do that? We've got the time. Why not? Okay, so several things. <laughs> Back up. Uh, you just kind of glazed over the taxidermy. Yeah. How, how did you and why? Please tell me more. <laughs> I've always loved taxidermy. It's It's not as common in the UK as it is in other countries, um, which is a shame because I really, really love it. And uh, I think my dad bought me a mouse taxidermy class a few years ago so I could try it because I am vegetarian and I am empathetic, as we as we said, and I just can't help but think, oh, what if he can still feel it? I feel really terrible. No, <laughs> like, no. how do I feel ethically about this whole situation? But I think... After that, I was really pleased with how I'd been able to turn, you know, that corpse into a piece of art that can be enjoyed. And also it deepens your appreciation of nature because you really get to see how clever and intricate a living being is on the inside (laughs) without being too gross about it. Um, Yeah. And after that, I just kind of moved on to different animals. I've got a really great teacher. She's from South Africa and she's one of the best taxidermists in the UK. And um, once we got friendly, it was just a bit addictive to keep going back and doing a class here and there. Butterflies and moths are really easy to do and really relaxing to do. There's no gore involved um, (laughs) with those guys. So yeah, it's just a nice a nice hobby. I wouldn't recommend birds though. That's very messy. 
Interesting. Now, do you write about and and do videos on your taxidermy hobby? I don't know. I think people already think I'm strange. I think if I did that, <laughs> that would be a bridge too far. Also, I'm Is not I'm not that thing? good at it yet. I'm not that good at it yet. It's difficult. It's kind of like dressmaking and sculpting in one. And you have to really know how things fit together in order to make a really great end product. And I still need a lot of help with stuff like that. So until I'm an expert, there will there will be no videos from me. Interesting. That is blowing my mind. That is just that is so awesome. I've never talked to anyone who <laughs> did taxidermy. I'm loving this. That is awesome. So I understand that you feel that you're not very good, but do you have like photos of of work that you feel pretty good about like butterflies oh yeah take photos of all of it yeah yeah because once you've spent 14 hours disemboweling a crow you definitely want to take photos of the finished result because it feels like you know that was a a huge investment of time and also it just looks dope when it's done it just looks so cool I'm so curious. Maybe, just maybe you'll share some of those with me and I can put them out when I uh, do our show notes. Oh, yeah, for sure. I, yeah, I, I will. <laughs> I like to do progress photos and then show people as well. Just here it is when it was frozen and then this is it with its skin off and then here is it with its, you know, that's its brain out on the thing and then this is me stuffing it with straw. <laughs> I love it. I, Sorts the I, men from the boys, that does, when you start bringing out photos of skinned mice. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I am totally, like, I want to see, which is really strange for me. But Morbid no, curiosity. <laughs> yeah, I'll yeah, photos. Exactly. Don't you worry. <laughs> that's awesome. So besides writing, your YouTube videos are so freaking cool. You're a drummer. You have the taxidermy. Like, what don't you do? Um, so, so many things. I think that I don't do everything apart from what you've just said. There we go. I'm only good at a very select number of things and everything else. I just pretty much blanket suck at. Is there is there something on the horizon that you're like, you know, I've always wanted to try that, but now maybe you have more time that you're thinking about diving into? I really fancied the idea of doing a dressmaking course during this lockdown situation, just because I've tried making clothes in the past and I'm so cack-handed that they end up just almost right, but not quite. And it's it's enough not quite to look terrible on him, you know what I mean? And I've got very weird proportions as a human. So I'd love to be able to adjust everything that I buy or make things because I have a very clear vision of what the outfit should be. It's just getting it there. So that's really something I'd like to, to get good at. Very cool. So we'll be looking at possibly a new line of clothing down oh, the can line. Can you imagine? <laughs> Wouldn't that be awesome? The things I could do if I had the skill, the things like if I could translate what's in my brain to actual physical clothes. Oh, my gosh. The world's not ready. I look forward to it because it sounds exciting to me. (laughs) So your your company, Jot Jot Boom, how did you come up with that name? 
It was one of the only names that wasn't already registered <laughs> with Companies <laughs> House. <laughs> and also it had to be a representation of me. I, I, I like people to know what they're getting into before they decide to work with me, which is why I'm kind of no holds barred on my website. I show a picture of what I look like <laughs> and kind of I'm a bit of a sweary Mary on my website. So I think that the business name and the logo and stuff, it, it had to follow through. Obviously, that's what good branding does anyway. But I wanted to show people this is exactly what you're getting into. So if you like the sound and the idea of this, then it's going to be a match made in heaven. <laughs> so, yeah, I wanted it to say what it does on the tin, but also be a reflection of me. And worryingly enough, that name did come up quite easily. So... <laughs> I love it. I mean, it grabbed my attention. I mean, granted, I think it was uh, the INF Summit that Lauren and Jazz did is how I came across you. And of course, the name, Jot Jabun, was like, I got to find out what that is, <laughs> right? Because initially, I wasn't thinking writing. I was like, that's something naughty. <laughs> really? Oh, even yes. better. <laughs> So I was like, I got to see that, okay, Jazz and Lauren are connected to someone with a site Someone in the porn industry. That might be naughty. Wouldn't that be Jot Jot Bang, though? (laughs) Which maybe that's a spinoff. Oh, my God. A sister company for my my cam girl business. Yeah, yeah, I can totally see it. Just, just maybe. me too. That's worrying, isn't it? <laughs> Na- it's a natural progression. So you mentioned earlier uh, you're a vegetarian. I am. Yes. Did that? Is that like your your shtick your whole life? Is that something new? Are you like this overly health conscious person? I've always hated eating meat ever since I was a kid my parents used to fight with me over it (laughs) I had to sit at the table until it was gone from the plate and I just I just don't like the texture it is just flesh it's just a fleshy texture and it feels wrong and even the smell of any pork product to me just smells like it's wrong on a primal (laughs) level you should not eat that it smells like I think they don't they say it's the closest to human flesh. So you and pigs are so clever as well. I just think that's wrong. You shouldn't be doing that. Oh, it's rank. As soon as I think I was about 11 or 10 and my mum just gave up and she said, you know what? Just don't. All right. We'll buy you some tofu. (laughs) I'm sick of this argument. (laughs) And I've just been vegetarian ever since. I have tried meat a few times since then, just in case. Um, but yeah, I still don't like it. Wow. And I I got to kind of admit here. So <laughs> I was just craving a steak this morning. Oh, really? There's something like I'm not a huge meat person either. Like give me a meal. I will always start on the vegetables first. But there's something in my makeup that I will crave meat. Mm. you know it's like my body is saying I know you don't like it necessarily but you need this and then when I get it it's like I feel I feel revived oh, and then, wow. then I'm good. revived yeah, yeah it's because I'm I'm 
for the most part, pretty um, healthy. Like I, I, I don't pig out on, you know, snacks and minus gummy bears. So that's not never been an issue for me, but I will get haggard. You know, I'll go three or four days where I feel great, but then just something just feels off. And then I'll have a steak and because it doesn't happen with chicken or, and I don't do pork anyway. It doesn't happen with chicken or seafood. It's beef. When I have beef, then it's like, fuck, I just got my batteries charged. Wow. No, I've never I, had that. I've never had that feeling, all that craving. Never in a million. Just take yeah, iron tablets and that'll do it. <laughs> and it's weird because it's even like with, with dairy, like, I, being in menopause, I have lots of nights where I can't sleep, but I also think it's low B12. And if I get up and have a, like just a little bit of glass of milk, I'm out and I feel great. Like I sleep, I don't have vivid dreams. I wake up the next day. I feel awesome. It's something about cows. (laughs) And they're so sweet as well to look at, aren't they? Especially if you get those nice Scottish cows with the nice furry little faces. I just, I feel bad, man. But yeah, milk is wicked. Dairy products, <laughs> love it. Butter is my favorite thing. See, Love a bit I, of butter. I, I'm right there with you. But I totally respect being a vegetarian, veganism, totally do. And if I could, maybe I, I really would, but there's something about me that I can't. And my acupuncturist, she like even told me, she was like, your body's not meant for not having meat (laughs) they do say that though don't they certain um blood types yeah you require different things from your diet and that means you're supposed to eat more of this and less of this and whatever for for your blood type I think as well it's true and at some point maybe now I'll do the research that I've been putting off forever at least I've done some but not as much as I should to know like what my blood type and body needs I will but yeah, so I, I totally get that um, n- not wanting to, but then also feeling like I have a need. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the inner conflict mm-hmm. of meat consumption. So you, you've got a lot going on. You, you, you have your, your video work, your writing, I mean, rocking out, taxidermy. <laughs> but do you have like guilty pleasures? Do you have things that you do that takes your mind away from those things? Me and my sister like to do scrapbooking, um, but really it's not good artistic scrapbooking. It's complete shit. So what we like to do is go around and just cut random things out and make these montages where we kind of stick extra eyes on people and giant (laughs) mouths. And we sometimes cut out a selection of words and then swap words and make poems from the words. It's just pure bollocks (laughs) and um we like to listen to a playlist from the early 2000s when we do it as well so lots of Avril Lavigne you've got to get some tracks from Greece 2 in there a little bit of Disney in the mix you've got to get your pop punk on the go and just you know belt it out as you're making a montage from Heat magazine or whatever so that's a that's a guilty pleasure awesome I love it (laughs) I gotta say, of everyone I've talked to, you are the most awesome. You've got so many layers that are just so cool. Yeah, but I can't get them all out at once because it makes me look like a liar. 
So <laughs> you've you've got to kind of do a gradual reveal. No, I think, and I'm glad that you are revealing because I ha- I have this one person, friend, artist, creative that I connect with, and he is so sure that. As a creative person, we're only meant to do one creative thing at a time. Yeah. And as a multi-passionate person, personally, that's impossible for me. You know, granted, there isn't anything I can necessarily do all at once, but I think it's a crime if you have these other passions, if you have these other things that you're interested in, to at least try them. Where is it written that we, we have to only do one thing? Like, do you, do you feel that you have people in your life or do you feel like society in general should, you know, dictates that we should do one thing? No, I don't necessarily think that. I think if you're a creative, you're always existing in the what if, aren't you? You're looking at something and being like, but what else could that be? Or what could I do with that? Or how would someone else see that? You know, you're always in that mentality. Well, me for myself, I know I am. So I think it's difficult to restrict yourself to one discipline. Because if you're good at writing, well, then why wouldn't you maybe write a song or write a poem? Or then maybe you start writing fiction. And then, you know, maybe you want illustrations to go with that. Or maybe I can try it because there's nothing else to do. Like I've had to learn how to design things. And I've naturally gone into making videos, because that's how I feel is another way for me to communicate, which is my job. And then there's podcasts because I communicate because that's my job. And it's just a different avenues of exploration. And yeah, I think that you're always looking at what you can make out of something. I think it would be incredibly difficult to only ever do one thing. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you feel like though, with having different creative pursuits and interests, is it beneficial to stay with one persona or do you feel like, you know, for some people, like I have a very analytical brain and I compartmentalize. And so for me, when I, when I, and I'm a branding person, so I love creating new brands, but for other people, they're like, no, I'm just going to keep everything under one umbrella. Like which, which avenue do you think is best for a creative to keep everything under one branding umbrella or to have different branches? I think it all depends on what works best for you. I mean, like you, I'm the kind of person where I like to have a lot of different things on the go because one day I'm feeling really, really creative about this. And then when that becomes stale, well, I've got this other thing that I've been working on and I can divert to that. And it always keeps me fresh and it always keeps me thinking and being creative in a lot of different ways. And I like to be able to switch it up because that's what works for me. That's how I create. But there are other people that naturally want to put their heart and soul into one specific thing and really get it right. And they have no interest in distractions which take away from that. So I think it really depends on what type of creator you are. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I appreciate you saying that because I think creative people that come into their creative passion later in life, they've had to go through the traditional mindset of what being successful looks like. And typically that's find one thing, be good at one thing, stay with one thing. And if you don't do that, if you branch off and do these other things, that means you failed at the first thing that you were trying to pursue. 
And so I think it's very helpful to hear from another creative person, another successful creative person, that it's okay to have different pursuits. Because like you said, it, it also helps you to stay fresh because you're able to take your, your mind and your focus off this one thing and pivot over here and maybe even come back. But also you learn different skills with the different tasks that you undertake as well. And sometimes those skills can be transferred to other things. So it's really good to be kind of almost a jack of all trades so that you can take something from everything that you've learned and put them into different contexts and they help further you in that way. I love that. And I'm, I'll make sure that I highlight that when I, when I go back to do the show notes, because I do think that is just so, so, so very important for creatives that are finding their way, but then also this younger generation, you know, that the gig economy that we're in, especially now is made the landscape ripe with opportunity. And so taking away that barrier of you have to stick to one thing, I think is so important. And, you know, as professional people, we need to make that especially clear to this new generation coming up right now. Yeah, I think that the next generation seem remarkably self-assured. They're very, I think that they're very, uh, they know, they know where their minds at. That's the impression that I get. And I just envy them <laughs> so much. They're less susceptible to online advertising and marketing. They don't, their self-esteem is not damaged by social media. They've got their shit together. Those guys. I'm quite jealous. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm jealous too. They hear you say it like that. <laughs> Well, I'm very, very conscious of our of our time, and I could talk to you for hours, but I don't want to take up any more of your day. Um, tell me though, what's what's on the horizon with everything that you're doing? And I, you know, you have pursuits that you've mentioned, but what's on the horizon for you with work? Um, I have another article coming out in Metal Hammer imminently. I'm just waiting for feedback so that I can make some changes. Although it would be very embarrassing at this point if that article was rescinded and didn't go out. But at the time of recording, I have an article going out um, soon. It, it took ages to research. I don't want to give any spoilers, but it's pretty it's pretty intense. Um, so I've got that coming out in the future. And other than that, I'm just kind of hanging out over here, pitching for jobs, just waiting for more work to come in. Uh, just keeping myself busy with uh, my own content pipeline. Just keeping nice. myself sharp, you know. Well, I'm certainly looking forward to new stuff from you because I, I feel a very kindred spirit with you. And you help, you, help, you help me on the days where I'm like, what the fuck am I even doing? So just to let you know, you have a fan. And I'm oh, that's so nice. Thank you. More. Of course. So where should folks uh, go to find more about you and if they want to work with you and, and look at these awesome videos that I've mentioned? I can be found at jotjotboom.com or on Twitter at EJ Cownley. That's Cownley with an N. I cannot tell you how many times my last name has been butchered. <laughs> I've been called all sorts. I really have. Cownley with an N. Cow, un Lee. Cownley. <laughs> And we've talked about the cows, so that should be very easy for people to remember. <laughs> yeah. And obviously in England, that's a really nice slur on someone. Sharp, you cow. So, really? Yeah. Call someone a, an old cow. <laughs> oh, that is awesome. Yeah. But you've got to I say just... it in a London way, like, cow, you dirty old cow. 
<laughs> well, I don't think I could pull that off, but it, that's good to know because I refer to myself as a big cow often. So, oh no, you, you don't. <laughs> do you? I oh, do. No. I, I do. It's terrible. <laughs> oh my yeah, god! Reclaim I, it. I, and I love the little emoji cow because, like, when I type it in my phone, I get either the cow with the white and black spots or the brown one. And I go for the brown cow every time. Oh, isn't that a tasty drink, a brown cow? I think it is. Or is that a mule? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Well, Miss Emma, thank you so, so much for our, our time today. It's been awesome to thank speak you with you. Thank you for having me. Is there anything that I missed that you want my listeners to know? No, you've been very thorough. <laughs> Good. <laughs> I feel that all my nooks and crannies have been explored here today. Which is good because then there's nothing that anyone can ever blackmail you with. Well, I'm sure there's something. <laughs> <laughs> we'll save that for our next time. <laughs> Well, thank you again. I appreciate your time today. Thank you. Take care.